invite you to be seated, and we're going to be in Luke 10, starting with verse 25, continuing our series on Luke. We've been slowly going um, verse by verse and chapter by chapter, learning more and being reminded of who Jesus is as our good King and Savior. And so, Luke chapter 10, starting with verse 25. 16, 1615, the old ears just aren't picking it up as much anymore. Uh, all right, you there? Luke 10, 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do? To inherit eternal life. What is written in the law? He replied. How do you read it? He answered. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. And with all your soul. And with all your strength. And with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is God's word this morning to us, marked by compassion. Friday night was a night that I spent in reflection. I um, ended the workday, went home, expecting to just have a few minutes before we headed out to um, spend a night with an evening with friends, um, having just some fun and reconnecting. And um, got the news of the situation in Paris. 
it was hard to just go on and go out. It kind of wanted to just cancel plans and stay home. But um, Dane and I talked, you know, of course we had met, well, these you wouldn't, of course, know this, but we have friends and we see them maybe once, twice a year to try to keep those connections. Um, and so this was an important gathering of friends, and so we were going to go out. But I said, can you imagine those hostages? This must be absolutely terrifying for them. Say a prayer, go on into the restaurant, have dinner that comes up in conversation, go back home, and spend the rest of the evening in deep reflection. It's unusual that um, I, I like to prepare ahead, so the sermon would normally have been written already by um, Friday night. And for some reason, the Lord had it such that there was still more to go in the work. And so Friday night, I spent in reflection. I was on CBS, NBC, ABC, Fox News, CNN, watching the news, watching video clips, reading reports, praying, reflecting, thinking about this scripture about this man who had been beaten. We don't have photographs of this biblical story. I had found a clip art that I had been looking at and thinking about the pain of being beaten and left half dead and being left for dead. And then I looked at this picture online, and it looked really similar to me. And I thought, there's been pain in the world since sin entered. And if we were left to our own devices because of sin entering the world, if Jesus hadn't had compassion, if the Lord hadn't wanted to be the redeemer that would take us out, we would all deserve to be in anarchy. And praise God that he came. And this is the good news, that Jesus came to bring back life and to bring hope into a deep, dark, dark world. And so today is good news, but it starts with a story that has incredible pain. If you'll remember in our sermon series on Luke, at this point Jesus has turned his face towards the cross, and he's on his journey. It's a ten-chapter journey that the Lord's giving us these lessons of discipleship on his way to his death at the cross. And you start to see this contrast becoming more clear between the disciples and others that should know the word very well. And so the disciples have, if you remember last week, the sermon, and a couple of weeks back, the sermon of Jesus sending them out, they're healing, they're casting out demons, and um, praise the Lord. But remember that your name's written in the book of life. That's what we should be celebrating. And let's pray for the harvest workers. Let's pray for the harvest workers to be sent out. And so the disciples have been doing this beautiful work of compassion, healing and delivering. And then we've got, in contrast, the religious expert who today is going to try to test and challenge Jesus, to test him. Testing Jesus and wanting to justify himself. And so the religious expert said, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And if you think about this, just think about it kind of logically. What do you do to inherit something 
is that you're a child and you don't control anything about being a child, right? You, you're conceived. It wasn't your idea to say, could I please be conceived? And then would you have me be this person's child so that I can receive this inheritance? No, it's a gift. And how do you inherit it? You happen to be a child and you receive it as a gift. All right, but what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus doesn't answer the question. He turns it around and says, well, how do you understand it? He turns that question around and starts to test the religious expert. And he answers this with the first word, love, love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Something that they had repeated in the Shema in Deuteronomy. They repeated it twice a day. Love the Lord your God. Love the Lord your God. And love your neighbor as yourself. Coming from Leviticus, love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord. Love your neighbor. Love yourself. All right. Then the question, well, who is my neighbor? And this might seem like, you know, just clarifying the terms. You know how people like to clarify the terms. Let's just be clear on this. Who is my neighbor? Well, um, Jesus, in his response, challenges the culture of that time. And some of the writings and some of the sayings, the common sayings of that time, kind of help us to understand what the culture was. And so this was a writing from um, Jewish, it's extra-biblical Jewish writings. This is a quote. If you do good, know to whom you do it. Give to the devout, but do not help a sinner. All right. The idea was if you help a sinner, you strengthen them, and then that evil may come against you even stronger. And so do not help a sinner. Only help people that are kind of like yourself that are good. And then, and, all right, and then just in my mind, I think, and who is good? All right. <clears throat> Study the law. Study of the law is a higher rank than practicing it. It was a common saying. Study is a higher rank than practicing it. Now, do you understand then what Jesus is doing when he starts to give this parable? When he starts to give this parable, he's going to rock their paradigm. He's going to shake up their thinking. They have stinking thinking. All right? He tells the Good Samaritan. And this little diagram, I really in my mind as I was um, practicing and thinking about this sermon, I really kind of wanted to have a skit where... There would be somebody laying up here, but you can't have somebody just laying up here naked and beat up and bloody. But, you know, there'd be somebody here, and you would just see somebody walk by and look and just kind of go on by. And then the next person comes up and looks, gets away from him, and goes on by. And then finally, finally, somebody comes and has compassion and starts to tend to their needs. Well, this is what happened in the parable that Jesus taught. And he gave two examples, a priest and a Levite, who should have been, you would think, that would be the assumption that they would be, well, they're vocational ministers. They work in the temple all the time. They should be the ones, if anybody was going to help, of course they would help. And there might be some reasons, and we don't get into that, why they may not have, it might have made them ceremonially unclean or something like that. But really, there's no excuse. There's no excuse. And that's what the word is trying to tell us. There's no excuse 
for looking and not having compassion. But you would think, all right, so maybe you've got your Pastor Dave walks by, and then you've got Andrew walking by, and then you're thinking, well, they're going to say Vic comes by and he helps. But actually Jesus picked somebody, a Samaritan, somebody that they would consider to be an enemy, somebody that they really looked down on, that they judged. Who read it? Was it you that was reading the scripture about judgment? You know, they were judging the Samaritans. Jesus picked a Samaritan to say the Samaritan came and started to minister. Their active compassion. You see, active compassion. If you look at the verbs, these are very active verbs. He went to him. He bandaged. He poured. He put him on the donkey. He brought him to the inn. He took care of him. He paid. He's going to check back. He was active, active, active in the way he was ministering. He poured that oil and that wine. We, didn't, we don't have bacitracin back then. You know, we don't have sailing bags to, you know, start to irrigate their wounds. They're working with what they've got. He's working with what he's got, and he's starting to clean out the wounds. I imagine it doesn't tell us that he's saying, you're not alone. But I imagine he's saying words of love, you know, words that just reassure that, hey, buddy, we're going to get through this. I'm going to take care of you. He puts him on that donkey. It's a steep, steep road. I don't know how he did it. You know, they didn't have bungee straps to strap the guy onto the donkey. Steep, whether he's going up or going down. Can you imagine trying to hold somebody all the way down that hill so they don't fall off the donkey as you're trying to get them to the end? He's exerting tons and tons of energy and time because he has compassion. He gives two days' wages to be able to put him up in this inn. And then he says, anything that's left over, anything that, any expenses, I'll just put it on my tab. I'm going to take care of this. Verse 33, that word pity. In the NIV it says, when he saw him, he took pity on him. In the English Standard Version it says, when he saw him, he had compassion. And what that word compassion means is it's like in the inner being of your bowels, you yearn, you feel sympathy, you have pity, you're moved with compassion. Your inner bowels, your inner being, moved with compassion. Pastor Dave told me about a video clip that he thought maybe might be helpful with this sermon, although it was very, very graphic. And it was a um, video shot in China of a little two-year-old that got run over by a car. Now, that was an accident. It wasn't an intentional injury. But because of public policy, if they step in to help, they start to take on the liability and the expenses and the care of that person. And so this little beautiful two-year-old child, he's telling me about the video, and he pulls it up, and he's watching it, and he's saying, do you want to watch it? And I'm like, no. And anyway, and he's watching it, and um, I can't do it exactly like he was doing it, but here's what was happening in our office on Friday. The compassion was dwelling up in him just watching this and wanting to step in and help. I, I mean, if he could have jumped through that screen and gone through two years of time, he would have been there to scoop up that baby. He would have. It was coming from the bowels. 
It was coming from the inmost being, a sympathy, a compassion. Jesus asked the man, which of these three, the Levite, the priest, or the Samaritan, do you think was a good neighbor? The religious expert couldn't even bring himself to say the word Samaritan. It'd be like us. You know how French people and an American have kind of had a little, you know, those people across the ocean. You know, he couldn't even say it. He said, the one who had mercy on him. And that word mercy means kindness or goodwill towards the miserable and the afflicted joined with a desire to help them. Which of these was a neighbor? The one who had mercy, the one who not only had goodwill and nice thoughts, but had a desire to help. And Jesus said, go, you go and do likewise. Twelve times in Luke and Acts, the word go. In Matthew, three times in the gospel, another gospel once. That go, it's very active. Active compassion, Jesus says. Go and do likewise. And so 1 John 2.17 says this, The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Oh, okay. So if we do the will of God... Then we live forever. And so how do we inherit eternal life? Go and love. Go and let your mark be marked with compassion. Right? And so does that mean that we can earn it, that we can do it, that we can get this inheritance by what we do? Absolutely not. It's a response. It's a response to God's love. We're being marked. We're living out. We're showing our identity because we look like our dad. We act like our dad, our heavenly dad, the one who sent Jesus, his son, to die for us. And so what's our response? What's our response when we see people that are beat up and hurting? What is our response? What is our response when we see bullying? And I think about our youth group ministry. And they had a situation fairly early on where there was bullying and they had a no bullying policy. But were they going to just walk on by and just go to the other side and not worry about it because it makes it hard to deal with discipline? Or were they going to actually address it? They had to move in and address it and stand with the person who was being bullying and tell the others, you need to stop or you can't come to the youth group. That's stepping in. That's stepping towards somebody who's hurt. What do we do when we look around and we know that there's toxic families, dysfunctional families, there's people that are hurting because their relationships are hurting? Maybe it's a family, maybe it's extended relationships, maybe it's friendships. I don't know. But what do we do? Do we just go, oh, how are you? Fine. How are you? Oh, I'm doing all right. Or do we say, how are you really doing? You know, it seems like things are rough. Do we move toward... Or do we stand back and just kind of, hi, great, see ya? What do we do when we know somebody is struggling? Like with addictions, what do we do? Do we step in? Do we stand alongside? Do we love? Or are we kind of standoffish? Are we walking around? Are we skirting around? If we're going and doing likewise, 
as a neighbor, as that good Samaritan, the Lord invites us to step in. Can you imagine that person on the road and they look and see the person laid out here? Maybe they don't feel equipped for it, but they're stepping in with whatever they've got. They've got some time. They've got something to give. They're stepping in. We see that with public policy, even with China, right? That video. Are there Christians? Are there people that are stepping up in in politics? So, you know, some of you maybe are being called to use your gifts as a Christian in the political arena to make policy. Maybe some of you are in medical missions because you want to move closer. You want to help in Jesus' name. Whatever it is, how is the Lord inviting us to respond to the situations around us? Is my life being marked by active compassion? It's a question we can each ask ourselves, and I believe the text asks it of us. Is my life marked with active compassion? Do I love others with whatever I've been given to use? And so, the, you know, you think about the five love languages. And so I see these in the Good Samaritan story of service, how he served with what he had. He had some time, and he made some time. He canceled whatever else he was doing to be able to be there and to respond. He used his wine. He used his oil, important commodities. It wasn't like they had all these stores that they could just go to Myers and get some more, right? Right? He had this on this road and this journey, and he was using what he had to serve somebody else. The Lord invites us to use what we have. Maybe we have words to give. Maybe we have time to give. Maybe we have a hug to give. Maybe we have a prolonged handshake to hold and to look into somebody's eyes and to just say, you're not alone. How can I help you? We do this not because we can do this in our own strength, but we do it as a response to what Jesus has done for us. Which one was the neighbor? And the answer was the one who had mercy on him. Another definition of mercy, remember the first one was kindness with a desire to help. Another definition of that same word mercy that's used for Christ, the kindness and compassion of God in providing and offering people salvation by Christ. How do we become more compassionate people? We spend more time thinking about what Jesus did for us. Because we weren't half dead. We're fully dead. We're fully dead, and he comes and he revives us. Scripture says, greater love has no one than this, but to lay down one's life for their friends. Jesus laid down his life so that we could have life. He gave the ultimate sacrifice. The Good Samaritan gave some days and some money. Jesus gave it all. Jesus gave it all. And if we want to become more compassionate people, if we want to be people that see the person on the road and they're laying there, whether it's our neighbor, whether it's somebody on Gold Avenue, they're on Bridge Street, whether we watch the news and we're seeing this this morning, we're watching the news and we thought they said that there was a shooting overnight on Gold. It was on Randall. But we rewound the news to check it out to see. But what are we doing about it? I mean, what are we doing? 
the boiler room has given us a beautiful opportunity to do something about it this week and pray. I'm praying on Thursday from 12 to 1. If anybody wants to join me, let me know. Sign up. Pray. Pray and use your gifts. Pray and move. How would the Lord have us to respond? Well, it, it starts by looking at Jesus and remembering that he loved us first, and that's how he's given us his love to go out and minister. It also means that sometimes as we're out in the world, we're beat up, or sometimes there's still things that the Lord wants to do in us. And he meets us this morning with his compassion. Maybe it's been something that you say, I st- you know, I really identify with the person that's walking and that can help. Or maybe today you identify with the picture of the person that's laid out and needs help. Jesus is present. Jesus loves you. Jesus' compassion is for you. He moves towards you. So whether it's, Patricia, you said your dad had a stroke, right? And you're concerned. And the Lord is here. And the Lord meets you in that place and says, don't fear. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And you have a church family that loves you. Somebody else, you told me that you were expecting maybe a surgery, right? And Jesus' compassion is here. And he says, if you have to have another back surgery, I'll be with you. And before that comes, the church wants to pray for you. The church wants to ask the Lord that maybe he would heal you so that you don't have to undergo a surgery, another back surgery. The Lord's here. He's active. He's moving. He says, don't fear, Vic. No matter what's going on with your kids, I love them more than you do. I love them more than you do. And even as the Lord moves close to you and strengthens you with his love, then you reach out with the love of Christ to minister to your family. Each person, each person here, the Lord knows how you've been hurt. The Lord knows how you've been beat up. The Lord knows what you've gone through. And he says, I love you. I sent my son to die for you. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. We're in the presence of a holy God. One who has compassion. He has compassion to help you move towards your kids. If your kids are having struggles, he gives you wisdom. He gives you every resource that's needed. Maybe you don't need oil Maybe you don't need something to disinfect, but maybe you need some words that will soothe over something that was a long-time struggle in your family, and the Lord gives words. He gives you wisdom. He helps you to parent. He helps you to be a friend. Mike, he helps you to be a neighbor. I got a text from you this week. There's somebody that needs to move. What can we do to help? Praise God that he's helping you move towards people who are hurting. And we don't do it alone, church. We do it together.
I'm waiting. Because if there's any other ways the Lord wants to work to move to show his compassion, he just says, I love you. I move toward you so that you can move towards the world. Because you are my hands. You are my feet. You are the ones who go out in my name, not in social activism, but to exalt Jesus Christ. Earlier he said this to his disciples. He said, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. And when that religious expert asked Jesus these questions, some think that what the religious expert was asking is, Jesus, are you going to open my eyes? Are you going to open my eyes today to see the Father? And so if anyone has heard the story of Jesus and what he did for you on the cross, and today it makes sense to you for the first time, that he paid for your sins, that he came to give you new life, to give you eternal life, and to bind up the broken heart and to mend the old wounds today's the day. And so let's pray. I invite you if, you, um, if you are praying this prayer for the first time, or if you're praying this along with we're just going to all pray this together. So I invite you to just repeat after me. Jesus, I acknowledge that I am a sinner. I acknowledge that my sins have left me dead. And I need new life. Jesus, thank you for moving close to me. Thank you for opening my eyes. I receive you as my Savior. Cleanse me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And help me be light and active compassion in the world today. In Jesus' name. Amen.